Good morning, Calvary Church. Morning, morning. It is good to see you guys. No matter how cold you may have felt the past couple days or hours, uh, we should be grateful because, I don't know, there's a busload of middle school students who are up in the Berkshire Mountains on a retreat in Massachusetts where it is like negative 112 degrees. And so... Uh, you have all signed waivers if your kids are on there, so if they come back with half a nose missing or no fingers due to frostbite, it is uh, your fault as parents, not, <laughs> not our fault. You should have come to the parenting equipping class, uh, discipleship class, and that would avoid it. But uh, we're praying for those guys. Exciting to see. I know a bu- uh, bunch of those kids are away today, and so that's cool, and we hope and pray that God is doing uh, great things in their lives. God does amazing things when we sometimes have the opportunity just to get out of our normal comfort zone and get away. And so we pray that God does that in the hearts of some middle schoolers. And then we have other retreats coming up for other kids. So, and that's part of what we do, right? We want to connect uh, and build a body of all different generations and all different demographics here at Calvary and reach across those. And as a body, we want to care and uh, connect and know each other. And there are a lot of needs that some of us are facing right now in this church. And we have a prayer sheet, and the prayer sheet is an amazing way to know what's going on with people you may know or don't know or how you can care, how you can support. And so if you want to know how you may be able to more meaningfully be connected and care for people, I'd encourage you to sign up for that. There's a link on our website, a way to do that. You can email the office and get that. Um, And as a body, what we want to do is grow as disciples. And so we're super excited about the classes that we've had after this and your great participation in that, whether it be the Jonah class where they're walking through the book of Jonah and thinking about what it means for us today and what it meant for the people then, whether it's a class on growing closer to God through the combination of prayer and scripture, which I know has had great meaningful impact, or whether it's right here in this room, a bunch of folks from different ages, some of, most of whom have had kids, but not necessarily all of them are in here thinking about parenting and walking through in an engaging discussion way, conversations on parenting. So if you've missed out on any of those, uh, I think they're going well. And nobody's like throwing tomatoes at the teachers yet. So I'd encourage you, if you want to know more about those areas, to jump into it. And as a connected body, right, who are growing as disciples, we don't want to just be inwardly focused. What we want to do is also to personally and collectively reach out and impact other people with God's love and truth. We want to be a body of disciples who reach and impact others with God's love and truth. And you guys have done an amazing job doing that these past couple of weeks. We've had that bin in the lobby to collect diapers and wipes because there are a bunch of moms in this community and dads in this community who have faced perhaps the unexpected reality in their story of a child that maybe they weren't planning on or for whatever reason it's there and there may be some hardships in keeping that, but they've decided that they're going to keep that baby and they're going to raise it and they're uh, making that choice and that decision. And we've had an amazing opportunity to partner with them and support them and resource them and show love to them by giving them diapers and wipes. And for some of us that may seem insignificant, but uh, man, when you've tried to buy eggs and pay your fuel bill and put gas in your car, to have to get diapers for this little child that needs one like 17 times a day can be a really significant expense. And so you as a body, we as a body have rallied and really shown God's love in a tangible way. And so we're grateful for that. And another thing that we're grateful for what you've done is we have this event called Lego 500. We called a timeout on it because COVID, but it's an amazing way we serve our community, and we've done it for a few years, paused during COVID, but we're redoing it again, where kids get to come 
and the vast majority of them don't even come to Calvary. And they build these Lego cars, and they eat popcorn, and they race them, and, you know, we catch the cheater who's put fishing weights in them, and we excommunicate them or do whatever we need to do. But we need a bunch of people to help put that on to serve a bunch of kids and show them God's love. And you guys have rallied to that. And Jimmy T was sharing with us in staff meeting how there's just been an overwhelming uh, outpouring of volunteers and team members for that event. So we just want to thank you. God is working here in our midst, and what's exciting is to see you putting yourselves in places to God. Use what you have and to work through and steward through your time, through your talents, through your resources to reach and impact other people. So we're grateful for that. So I just want to thank you, affirm that, and we're excited about, well, I'm excited about what's in Revelation. I don't know if you are, but you're here, so we're going to get into it. Let me pray, and then we will press into uh, what God has for us this morning in his word. Father, we do think of the people who this morning are going through some challenging moments for a variety of circumstances. And in your words, you promise that you are close to the brokenhearted. And so we pray your closeness and your strength and your presence to those who are navigating situations uh, that are difficult and that are challenging. We're grateful that we have an opportunity to serve people of all ages uh, and all backgrounds and that you're bringing a body together of different generations and different cultures. And we're grateful that a bunch of students this weekend are able to get away and to be in community together and to hear about you. And we pray that through these past hours up there in the mountains of Massachusetts that your spirit will be working in the lives of middle school students who are just in such a unique moment in their story Um, and that they will hear about you, and in a deeper way, they will understand your love for them, and that your spirit will be working in their hearts even now as they wrap down that time. And we're thankful that we get to come, Father, and the same spirit can work in our hearts. And so, as we continue in Revelation, Father, um, I have nothing to offer anybody, but anything that will impact or change, we know is from you, Father. Uh, And we're grateful for, as we sang in the first song, what you've done here in Calvary, what you're doing through this series, and we're looking to you expectantly to continue to do your work through your spirit, through your word. So, Father, may this help us know you better, depend upon you better, have confidence and hope in you better. And for the glory of our King, we pray this, and in his name we pray. Amen. Well, because I was a thoughtful pastor last week, I did not keep you here for like two hours, right? What I did last week is we're continuing through our series in Revelation, and instead of making it one super long world-setting sermon series time length, I decided to break it into two different uh, sermons. And so today is part two of what we kicked off last week. And some of you may have been here last week when we began this series. Others of you may not have been. But last week is part two. I mean, this week is part two of what we kicked off last week. And last week, we began to think about um, some events that Scripture tells us is going to happen during this period of time known as the Tribulation. What we're looking at is Revelation 6, and what we've been doing in this series in the book of Revelation is saying we've reached a point where there's these prophecies and there's these verses written <clears throat> excuse me, about things that are yet to come down the road. And we kicked off a big section of that in this chapter 6, looking at this event known as the tribulation, the tribulation. And what we're saying for the sake of the series is that this tribulation is this unique time in biblical history and in future Uh, human history where, man, it is a unique period of hardship on the world. 
It is this period of time where God is allowing the consequences of sin and wickedness to be felt on the world, and we have snapshots of what that period of time will look like. If you've missed the past couple of weeks, if you're jumping in for the first time ever at Calvary Church or maybe back in months, uh, you're jumping in in a unique place, right, because we're talking about challenging things and hard things, but we spent a lot of weeks building the context to this as we continue to think about this time known as the tribulation. If you've been out and not here for the past couple of weeks, what you may be wondering is, man, that sounds really, really challenging and really, really hard and really, really bad. Am I going to be here for that if I'm a Christian? What does that look like? We spent two weeks uh, earlier in the winter thinking about that, so I'd encourage you, you can go back and look at that. Um, but today what we're going to do is continue from last week, and we're going to say, man, in chapter 6 of Revelation, it has laid out various events for us about the tribulation, and so we're con- continuing to think about, all right, from that chapter... Man, what does it show us about what that period of time, known as the tribulation, might look like? What does this part of the Bible show us about when the world as we know it starts to wind down in order to be redeemed and rebuilt? What does that period in human history look like? What does it show us as the world kind of enters its final chapters and the final part of the story before full redemption and full rebuilding But we don't want to just think about that. What we can also think about, and what we thought about last week was, in addition to those things, what do these verses show us about some realities and some truths about who God is? What do these verses show us, not just about what we can experience factually in the future, but what we can know and what we can hope in and what we can have confidence and peace because of today? What we see in Revelation is a lot of stuff about what's coming in the future, but from the things about what is coming in the future, they also give us hope and teaching and encouragement about truth for something you may be facing today. I don't know what you're going through, but all of us are going through something. And this will give us an opportunity to be grounded in some hope and grounded in some truth for what we're facing today. So we're going to pick up where we were last week. Um, we're in Revelation 6, and here's what we're going to see. We're going to see six events in the tribulation, six events in the tribulation, and then five realities, all right? So six events and five realities, and here's where we were last week. And this is in your bulletin or in your bulletin notes, but kind of let's review. Here is, so far from our study of the first couple of verses of Revelation, what we've seen. The first kind of event, the first way that the revelation unfolds, we said, is this period of peace. And then after that, it's this time where the text tells us, through the four horsemen of the apocalypse, you may remember that, somebody sent me a clip from Tombstone last week because I referenced Tombstone, which had a reference to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So, you know, I just love the way the sermons impact you. (laughs) Nobody was like, Dear Peter, the comment about hope really helped me as I was stuck on the side of the road with a flat tire, right? The texts are, hey, look at this clip. But that's all right, man. God works in mysterious ways. His ways are not my ways. Uh, The first event was peace. And then the second event was that the text talks about this period of, of, of violence, right, where people are slaying other people, and there's different views on that. Some think it's this global national war between countries. Other people think it's civil war within countries. And other people think it's just anarchy, 
just this mass random violence. We don't know for sure. What we do know is that as we take a view saying these things look at the future, that there is this period of violence on the earth. And then that violence uh, flowing out of that is this time of famine. And then the last event is kind of, as we talked about this progression of this, this immense population loss on the earth as a result of and flowing out of those prior uh, two things, right? And so those were the first four events that the text tells us are going to happen in this yet future period, if that yet future perspective is correct. And from that, we kind of drew this first reality. And the first reality we looked at was this, that sin and evil do not make things better. They only build upon themselves to make things worse. Sin and evil do not make things better. They only build upon themselves to make things worse. Worse, And so today, let's keep going in the text, and we're going to pick, off where, pick up where we lost, left off last week, and we're going to see the next few events and then think about some realities from that. So, Revelation 6, uh, verse 9 is picking up from last week, and here's what we see as the next event. When he, being Jesus, opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been, born, who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. So the first thing to kind of consider is who is the souls who had been slain for the word of God? There's two big views on this. One view, one group of scholars sees these people as Christians who have been uh, martyred during the tribulation period. During the tribulation period, <clears throat> regardless of whether Christians are here or not, it seems to be if under this take that there are some people who respond to Jesus, and subsequently this view would say that those people at some later point get martyred for their faith in Jesus. So one view on this is that these are Christians who during the tribulation period were martyred for their faith. There's another view on this who says these are actually all the Christians and any Christian who has been martyred since the time of Jesus. So two different views on the timing of the death. We don't exactly know when these people were martyred, but the one thing that is without any conversation or discussion is the fact that their death, whoever these, whenever it happened, that these people's death was a direct result of their faith in Jesus. These people's death was a direct result of their faith in Jesus. And the text really drills down a little more specificity about what was linked in that faith. It says there were two things specifically they were slain for, for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. These are Christians who, despite facing great persecution, right, clung true to the word of God. They faithfully understood it. They proclaimed it. They clung to it. They didn't back down from it. They didn't compromise on it. They stayed true and they stayed faithful to God's word and to what it said without wavering. And the second thing they did, not just in clinging to a true interpretation and holding fast to it, but the witness they had borne. They didn't become quiet in the face of persecution. They didn't deny their faith in the face of persecution, they held to truth, and they never, ever, ever wavered from being willing to publicly proclaim and declare that truth. 
And because of that commitment to God's word, because of their willingness to proclaim God's word, and because all that was rooted in their faith of Jesus and their understanding of what he had done from them, they suffered a cost. They suffered a cost. They suffered not just hardship, they suffered death. Now, <clears throat> you and I read that today, and you came in here excited that the weather's going to get warmer. You came here thinking about your Super Bowl party. You came in here thinking about what you're doing later today. When you came in here, you weren't facing any risk of persecution for your faith. When I read this to you this morning, you weren't people hearing it thinking to yourselves, this could happen to me. But we got to remember the context of the letter of Revelation. Amidst all this talk about the prophecy, what the letter was, was a letter written to Christians and churches in a particular moment in history. And for those Christians in those churches in that particular moment in history back in 90 or 95 AD, when they heard these words read in a group like this for the very first time from this letter, when they heard people dying for their faith, man, that hit home because they would have been sitting in their blue chairs on that morning, except for them, that would have been a risk they would have been facing. Because what we said when we kicked this series off is the time frame in which this letter was written, the Roman Empire had either just recently or was on the very verge of saying that Christianity is now formally illegal all throughout the empire. Up until this point, there have been pockets throughout the Roman Empire where if you were a Christian, you were going to get persecuted, you were going to get killed, but it wasn't like state legislated. But, but right when this letter was being sent out to these churches, either it just had or just about to, a decree passed that said, hey, if you're a Christian, that is now illegal. And if you are caught doing this illegal faith of Christianity, one of the things that will happen and most likely will happen is we are going to execute you. The people hearing this, when they read this, hearing about people who have been martyred for their faith, they would have been sitting there thinking, man, I wonder if one day that's going to be me. It wouldn't have been just some sterile academic exercise about scholars think it's one of two things. It would have been, my goodness, I wonder if when I leave here today, I'm going to be followed by a Roman centurion who is going to take me to prison and subsequently martyr me because I came to church this morning. There would have been a unique weight <clears throat> that this landed on the original readers that doesn't land that same way for you and for me today. The people hearing this and the people about whom it is written, man, they paid a price for their faith out of obedience and faithfulness to Jesus, and they followed him wherever he led them, even when that following led them to a very, very, very difficult place. Here's the second reality, a broader reality, right? Not just limited when we think of martyrdom, but including martyrdom, but this broader reality is this. Obedience to God sometimes takes our lives in a direction that is hard. And I'm not using the word hard to try to minimize martyrdom, right? I, I, obedience to God sometimes takes our lives in directions that are hard. There are Christians this morning who, like the original readers of this text, and unlike you and me, 
who this Sunday morning are sitting in a basement or outside in a field or in a small living room somewhere in the world, who they risked the very same persecution and hardship because they showed up to church this morning. And if they're caught worshiping Jesus, they are going to pay a penalty. And that penalty for some of them could be and will be their death. We, we pressed into this for a week or two when we were looking at the seven churches. But this is a reality that, that bounces off you and me. Because maybe it's inconvenient for us to come to church because, oh, we're tired. Ah. <laughs> oh. We really wish we could just stay home and get ready to watch the football game, right? Those are the inconveniences we face. Man, there is some grandma. There is some teenager. There is some single mom. There is some dad who has done manual labor all week long who are sitting in a room with other Christians right now who have to wonder when they leave that room is there going to be a governmental authority who follows them, who arrests them, and who causes hardship to them because of their worship and their faith to Jesus? And yet, they are joyfully and faithfully gathering together to worship Jesus. That's amazing. Some people <clears throat> in churches around the world today are there, even though it makes their life harder. Some people in churches in America today are there only because they think it's going to make their life easier or because they think it's a way to hedge their bets from any hardship coming to them. I don't know when it was, but a couple years ago, there was this ridiculous product that was advertised. Now, sorry, if you bought it, <clears throat> you're ridiculous, all right? It was called the I Renew Energy Bracelet. The I Renew Energy Bracelet. Anybody buy the I Renew? Tony, did you buy that? You're chuckling, bro. All right. <clears throat> Here's what the I Renew Energy Bracelet was. Do you know what like a little circular gasket looks like or a washer? You know what a rubber band looks like? Okay, this was essentially a harder rubber band that you would put on your wrist and it, chan it channeled the natural energies of your body. And it, this is what the advertisement says. We all have times when we feel weak. We all have times when we want to regain strength and feel renewed. And the promise was that if you buy the iRenew energy bracelets for $9.99, you will instantly <clears throat> feel better. You will instantly feel better. And so this is what the commercial would show. The Mr. I Renew Energy Bracelet salesman would go to a mall. <laughs> and he would walk up to people. And he would say, person, what's going on in your life? And they're like, I'm so tired because I have all these kids. Or, oh, I painted my... And he said, are you worn out? Yes. Do you need to be instantly renewed? Yes. He'd say, <clears throat> okay, let me try something. And he would grab them, and he'd just say, try to keep your balance. And he would, like, pull them down, and they'd go, oh. Then he would say, put on this I Renew Energy Bracelet. And they would put on the I Renew Energy Bracelet. And he would say, how do you feel? <clears throat> and they would say, 
I feel so much better. I feel energy I haven't felt for hours. <clears throat> and then he would grab them. Now, I watched the commercial. He would prop his shoulder up against them, and he would try to pull them over. And they're like, oh, I have my balance. It was this promise <clears throat> that if you buy this rubber band, your life will instantly be better. You will instantly be renewed. Everything that was knocking you off balance will be gone. You will have your strength back. Right? <clears throat> we all have times where we want to get our strength back. We all have times when we want to be instantly renewed. And Jesus promises, and what this book promises, and what we've sung about this morning, is that one day, all of that will happen. One day, all of your burdens will be lifted if you're a follower of Jesus. You will have your strength back, right? But Jesus never promised that that will happen instantly. And Jesus never promised that worshiping him in church is the magic I renew energy bracelet that will instantly make your life better. But I think there's a lot of people in churches in America today who are there because what Jesus was sold to them was the magic I renew instant bracelet that if you never want to have another burden in your life, just put on Jesus. If you want to feel instant peace and happiness, put on Jesus. If you want it all to be good, all your bills to be paid, all your sickness to be gone, put on Jesus. One day that's going to happen. All of that. But Jesus never said it's going to happen instantly and that it will all necessarily happen in this life. Will happen, but Jesus isn't a magic wand. Jesus will instantly take away the punishment and the risk of our sin when we respond in faith to him because he was a substitute who was punished for us. Our sin and the penalty we face from that, that can be instantly washed away. But hardships, trouble, stress, a world that's broken, <clears throat> following Jesus doesn't make that instantly all better. In fact, Jesus told us that. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And the question becomes this. When people in churches in America today, maybe when some of us, when we've bought into this lie that if we put on Jesus, our life will instantly be better. And when that lie runs up against this reality and Jesus says to us, sorry, I'm asking you to do something that is not going to make your life easier. I'm asking you to do something that actually is going to make your life harder. The question becomes in that moment, how do people respond? The question becomes in that moment, how do we respond? How do we respond? Do we walk away and say, no, Jesus, man, I want that trick in the mall where I don't have to do anything hard. Or do we say, Jesus, I don't want to do anything hard, but if this is what you're asking me to do, and if this is where you're asking me to go, I will faithfully follow you. When life becomes uncomfortable and following Jesus demands something of us that we don't necessarily want to give, do we keep walking in obedience? Is there something that you know 
God is asking you to do. And I don't mean you've heard a voice. I just mean, man, you know what his word. This, This book gives us guidance on how he wants us to live our life. This book gives us guidance on what our priorities should be what we should be about. And as you've been into this book and as you've been praying about things and as you've watched the trajectory of your life, is there just something that you know that God is putting in your heart and he wants you to do? But it's something that you don't want to do because it's something that's hard because it requires you to swallow your pride and to say to somebody, I was wrong. You were right. It requires you to ask your husband or your boss or your child to forgive you because you lost your temper and you were a raging lunatic who did not represent Jesus well. And you know what Jesus wants us to do when we're raging lunatics who don't represent him well is to go make things right and say, bro, I was a raging lunatic. I, I apologize. But you don't want to do that. Because you're filled with pride. And you're you're defending doing that because you're like, well, here's what they did wrong. Who cares what they did wrong? We ain't worried about them. We're talking about you. Is there something? You're in a relationship. And you know that relationship isn't leading you down a path of looking more like Jesus. But you don't want to be alone. And you have a choice to make. Are you going to follow Jesus even if it means being alone? Or are you going to continue to walk into a bad relationship that you know right now is not good for you? Guess what? In 27 months, it's not going to be any better for you. Is God asking you to do something that is a hard thing to do that you don't want to do? And if he is, the question is, are you willing to walk down that path of hardship in obedience to him, and out of love for him? Are you willing to walk down that path of hardship out of obedience to him and out of love for him? First reality flows from these martyrs that we saw, and the next few points flow from what we see those martyrs doing. What do we see those martyrs in heaven doing? Here's what we see them doing. They cried out, verse 10, with a loud voice, saying, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Here's what they're praying for. God, look, these people killed us. We know, God, that you are a just God. We know that you are a God who punishes evil. And God, man, they took our lives, and we want to see you do something right. We want to see you bring that justice. We want to see you bring revenge. We want to see you punish them for what they did wrong for us. That was their prayer. The fifth event that happens during the tribulation period is this event of martyrs' prayers for vengeance. Martyrs' prayers for vengeance. And how does God respond to those prayers? Look what God says in verse 11 in response to those prayers. Right? They're praying, God, will you act? Will you act? Will you show up? It's not fair. Stop letting it happen. Take action. And then look what God says in verse 11. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer 
until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until. Rest until. Rest until. If we want to paraphrase that, this is what God's saying. Wait. Wait. Right, right, just wait. Now, what's really interesting is there's two things going on. They don't want to wait. They're asking for it now. Boom. God did not answer their prayer in their timing. But at the exact same time, God heard their prayers God did not answer their prayer in their timing, but at the exact same time, God has heard their prayers. Two truths, absolutely true, absolutely ongoing at the absolute same moment. Now, we heard this, there's this amazing verse we read a few weeks ago that we skimmed over about this reality about God hearing our prayers. It was back in chapter 5, verse 8, where it says this. It talks about what's going on before the throne of God. When we preached on this, we talked about the, the majesty of God. But look what it says. When you take in the scroll, being Jesus, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saint. This amazing symbolic language to say that in heaven... All of the prayers that are being prayed, that have ever been prayed, that will be prayed, are in this symbolic bowl. And you know, do you guys ever have like a little candle you light because your house smells like dog? <laughs> Man, I just get out the cheapest Febreze I could find and spray it everywhere, right? But, but have you ever lit a candle or incense, maybe if you're a creative type? You write, you know, light some incense while you read your Robert Frost poem or whatever, okay? But, but it's this idea that, Every prayer that has been prayed, will be prayed, is being prayed, is gathered in this bowl. And then those things are like the wafting of an aroma of an incense that God has got it. There is, it is hitting God. It is impacting God. It is flowing over God. He knows every single prayer that has been prayed, will be prayed, is being prayed, and all of those are in front of him, coming up to him, and he is knowing them, he is feeling them, he is receiving them, this beautiful, beautiful image. Here's the third reality that comes from this. Even though we may not see God responding to our prayers, we can be confident that he has heard our prayers. Even though we don't see God necessarily responding to our prayers, we can be confident this morning that he has heard our prayers. Is there something that you've been praying about? We, we sang in the song like this concept of wait, wait. Is there something that today you're waiting on God for? Something in your family? Something in your parenting? Something in just the direction and the pathway of your life and the course of the twists and turns. Something you want to know if you should stop. Something you want to know if you should start. Health issues, financial issues, job issues, career issues, relationship issues. Is there something that you've been praying about? 
And is there something that you still find yourself waiting on God this morning for? Well, if you find yourself waiting on God this morning, here's what I want to say. Sometimes when we're waiting, we just need to be reminded that God has heard. Sometimes when you and I are waiting on God, we just need to be reminded that in that waiting period, God has heard. Have you ever been on hold with a customer service rep? Yes, you have. And, you know, you're on hold for like, have you ever called the IRS? If y'all work for the IRS, I love you. God bless you. If you're going to call them, just call them at 6 in the morning and make yourself a sandwich and some dinner and put it on speakerphone because you'll be there for nine hours, okay? But when we get on hold with customer service, after we've been waiting a certain amount of time, waiting for them to respond, waiting for them to act, waiting for them to fix it, when you're on hold on that call, you know what usually happens? Usually what happens is every certain number of minutes, this prompt comes up and says, thank you for calling our customer service. A representative will be with you shortly. And you're like, oh, I have hope. An hour and a half goes by. Thank you for calling our customer service. But they do that because they know that you're just waiting. And they're trying to remind you, they know you've been waiting, but don't, they're, still, they're still on the line. They're there, all right? They haven't dropped your call. And when we're waiting for customer service for our Apple TV, it's fine that we get reminded of that. But man, when we're waiting on God to work, and we've been praying, and we start to wonder, is he actually hearing? Is this worth it? It's important when we're waiting to be reminded that God has heard. And so as a practical way to remind us of that this morning, in your bulletin if you're a bulletin taker, on the app if you're an app taker, on a notebook, on your hand, on your coffee mug, what I would love for you, and if you're not willing to do it today, I challenge you to do it tonight before you go to bed, is just to think about what are you praying for? What is weighing heaviest on you? What are you tired of waiting about? And I'd encourage you to just write for yourself, I know that God has heard my prayers for blank. Whatever that is, just write it down. Because sometimes when we're waiting for God to act, it's important to be reminded that he has heard. And this is a tangible way that you and I in the coming days and the coming weeks can remind ourselves my prayer was part of that incense that has gone before God. And even though he hasn't acted in the timing that I've wanted, I know that he has heard. And then in God's response, he gives this really interest, there's a really interesting perspective about how God works and and what he does and what he's doing in their waiting and different things he's juggling. And and we see that in um, what we've read in verse 11, right? So he's telling them to wait, and he says, look, told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been, right? So God is saying, wait until... 
And then he tells this thing that is yet to happen. He says, look, there are still going to be faithful Christians just like you who are going to be martyred for their faith, right? That is still something that is yet to happen. And in this little verse, then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a while longer until the number of their fellow servants and the brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves have been. In God's response to people's prayers, we see this amazing reality about the way that God works. There are four different things happening here, all in real time in God's real time. First of all, God knows what's going to happen in the future. God knows at this very moment, here is something that is going to happen in the future. God also, at the same exact time of knowing what's happening in the future, hears their prayers for justice. He hears the prayers of the people asking him to act right now. Third thing that we see from the until and what happens later on is God is going to act. God is committed to acting. God is committed to bringing justice. And the fourth thing that's happening in this same reality is but he is making people wait. Four things that in real time from God are happening. He knows what's going to happen in the future. He hears the prayers. He is going to act and he is going to work and he is committed to doing that and he's also making people wait. Let's drill that down a little bit more. Let's kind of smush it into one more reality about what God is balancing. God is in that chapter now, he balances three different things. He balances prayers that he receives to act. He balances the timing in which he knows he will act and he balances the ongoing needs that will cause him to act. God is balancing like a master juggler prayers for act, the timing in which he knows he is going to act, and the way in which, and the ongoing needs that will cause him to act, all of which is within his sovereign plan and knowing how everything is woven together. In Revelation chapter 6, God is balancing all of these things at the same time. And in my story and in your story today, God is balancing all of these things at the same time today. Here's the fourth reality and the fifth reality that flows out of that. Fourth reality. God knows the timing of everything. And he knows how the timing of one thing is connected to the timing of another thing. God knows the timing of everything, and he knows how the timing of one thing is connected to the timing of another thing. You don't. You don't. But while you this morning may be waiting on something, God over here in a story you don't even know about, in the life of someone you don't even know about, in a circumstance you don't even know about, is doing something. And in his sovereignty, God knows how what he is working over here aligns with what you are waiting for over here. And he knows how the timing of those two things are connected and how in 20 years from there, there is a link in the timing between those two things. And so he is sovereignly orchestrating the timing of all things together because the timing of all things are connected. God knows the timing of everything. He knows how the timing of one thing is connected to the timing of other. I always think my timing is best. I actually don't think that there's been one single time in my life when I'm facing something and I'm like, okay, well, God, yeah. I mean, I'm 50, but this time, 
the, my timing really is best. The past 49 years, you did a pretty good job. You didn't drop any balls. You didn't fumble it. The timing seemed to work out, right? And, and I was sometimes wrong back then, God. But now, now this time, God, I really know the best timing. No, I don't because I'm a moron. <clears throat> because I know what I see from my teeny, teeny, tiny perspective. And it is so small. And God knows the reality from the expanse of eternity. And he's like, Bubba, I think I got a better view. I think I know the bigger picture. So why don't you just chillax and trust my timing in everything? From this, we see another reality, and this is that next reality. Everything that happens is under the sovereignty of a loving God. Everything that happens is under the sovereignty of a loving God. And so, I want you to personalize that. Because some of you, the timing is driving you crazy. The timing is driving you crazy. And some of you, what is happening in your life is so difficult or just so irritating. You're just wondering, does God really have control over this? And you need to find a way to remind yourself of what is true. Not true because Peter's saying it, true because God's word is saying it, because we see this out of Revelation 6. And so here's the takeaway and the homework for you. Whatever you're praying about, whatever you're waiting on, whatever's hard, then what I would encourage you to do is take some time right now before you go to bed tonight and write down, God knows the timing of blank. God knows the timing of blank. And he knows how the timing of that is connected to the timing of another thing. And the next thing I'd encourage you to write down is that, and this should be a little overheared, our next thing I encourage you to write down is whatever you're facing, blank, is under the sovereignty of a loving God. God knows the timing of when he's going to have some job possibility work out for me. God knows the timing of when and if I'm going to get those lab results back that are going to give some direction. God knows the timing of when and if that relationship with that friend or that child or that parent will move forward in a positive direction. And my job, my health, my relationship with that friend or that parent, all of it is under the sovereignty of a loving God. That doesn't mean it's easy. Having things under the sovereignty of a loving God is not a magic rubber band to put on your wrist to take away everything that's hard. But what it does give you is a foundation to fall upon when there is nothing else upon which to stand. The sovereignty of God is not a magic rubber band to make it all better right now. The sovereignty of God is where you dive head first when there is no place else left to dive. When everything else around you is collapsed, that's your last resort. But it's the best resort. It's the best resort. I've said it before. <clears throat> I love that line. When life starts to get hard from the disciples and Jesus asks them, hey, you guys want to bail? And Peter, I think it is, turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, where else are we going to go? 
Yeah, it's not easy, Jesus, but where else are we going to go? You're what we're anchoring ourselves to. And I'd encourage you, don't just write this down because Peter tells me to write down, and when I was five in Sunday school, I would get a gold star if I wrote these down. So write this down so that tomorrow morning you can pray through these things. Write these things down so even if you doubt them, tomorrow morning you can say, Holy Spirit, make this real in my heart and in my confidence. We're almost done. Event six of the tribulation, we're not going to unpack it, but let me just read to you the last event that's in Revelation 6, this final event of the tribulation. Uh, verse 12 through 17, the last event you're going to see is earthquakes and an eclipse. Earthquakes and eclipse, and here's the text that describes that. And I'll invite the worship team. You guys can start making your way up here. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains. A great sermon right there that I won't preach right now, but man, how about at the end of the day, we are all equal in the face of Jesus, right? Our power, our prestige does not protect us from the majesty of a powerful God who protects us is being in Christ. And for those kings and generals who thought their hoity-toity and their power and their 401k made them able to stand up to God at the end of the story, that's not what this verse suggests. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. All of these people across generations and demographics hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? The great, amazing confidence that we've been hitting throughout this, this series, that, man, the person who can stand with amazing confidence in that moment is the person who's put their faith in Jesus, right? Who is forgiven, who is free, who is righteous, who is in Christ, who there is no more condemnation. Man, when the question is who can stand, the answer should be, bro, I can stand because I'm in Jesus. I don't need to fear punishment. I don't need to fear wrath. I don't need to fear any of this because Jesus has saved me and rescued me from it already. We've walked through in this past two weeks, the six different events of the tribulation period. And next week, we're gonna, uh, I'm going to start studying it like in an hour and a half. We're going to start looking at the, this 144,000 people. Uh, poof, good luck with that one. Come back and that'll be fun, right? But, but that's coming up, 144,000. Who are they? What do they mean? I don't know, but Hopefully we'll know next week, right? But, but I just want to take a minute because we're going to end this song. And we've already studied a lot in Revelation, but we're going to end with this amazing song that in many ways is the summary of everything that we've seen so far. It is the theme that every week I hope you've been hearing. I hope you've not been hearing an earthquake is going to fall on my head. I hope what you've been hearing is there is hope and you are protected and preserved from the wrath of God if you're in Christ and you have nothing to fear. The only thing you will experience one day and on the ultimate day is peace and joy and love when everything will be well. Now, 
here's the song that we're going to sing. And these are the, the, some of the lyrics that will summarize for us where we are. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. This is a story of God redeeming a broken world. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. It will all be made new. Is all creation growing? Is a new creation coming? Is the glory of the Lord to be a light within our midst? Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Because it is crazyville out there. There are satellites and balloons over the world. Who knows what's going to happen, right? There is Russia. There is Ukraine. There are amazing police officers. There are bad guys. There are wicked things that happen. There is chaos. No political movement is going to change it. No revolution is going to change it. No new classroom curriculum is going to change it. But Jesus will change it one day. And he is making all things new. And is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Because we can get fixated. and We have a choice. Are we going to get fixated on everything that is broken? Or are we going to cling to the fact that everything will be made new? Are you going to be fixated on the reality that everything is broken? But are you going to move past that and cling to the hope that everything will be made new? new. And as we've read in chapter 5 and 6, is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. Is he worthy of this? He is. And today we're going to sing these words together in Trumbull, Connecticut. And for those of us who are Christians, one day we're going to sing these words together in the presence of Jesus. So this is a good warm-up. So I'd encourage you to stand up and I'd ask you to prayerfully sing this, not just as a reminder to yourself of what we've seen in Revelation, but an affirmation of the hope that this story tells us about. Let's sing and worship together.